Cameron, tasking you if a lion comes out from behind me to maul me again, uh, please just give me a heads up, man. No, this is fantastic, isn't it? This is absolutely awesome. And I'm pretty sure I was in here about 10 o'clock last night and that thing wasn't, the Jeep wasn't here yet. So people have been working, working. So, hey, my name is Dave Hyatt. I'm on the pastoral staff here um, in the area of uh, global outreach and local outreach, and one of the privileges we have is, um, is, is going around the world, sending teams around the world and uh, long-term workers around the world, global partners who go and they, they tell about the goodness of God. They tell about the salvation that has been accomplished for people, the, the reconciling, bringing people back into right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this, um, so Friday we sent a team off to Tanzania, that's in East Africa, and uh, that's, the, that's that center picture there. Uh, Blair and Joe McGuire, David Kraft, and Joan Apgar uh, left 5.30, this mor- or 5.30 on Friday morning. They ar- arrived, they, they worshiped uh, this morning, their time, sent me a picture of the church. So we're also sending a team, uh, the teacher's team, the ladies who are seated there are, are going to uh, the Middle East. They're going to be uh, working with, with a group of teachers, about 30 teachers, um, all from a Muslim background. They're going to be talking with them about teaching techniques, but also uh, sharing their life story of how they've come to, to encounter Jesus. And then this last team that, that I'm going to be part of, we're going to be in Senegal, which is in West Africa, uh, working with a group of uh, our, so we have Haitian friends uh, who are serving. There are four Haitian families serving cross-culturally, sharing the good news about Jesus in Senegal. And uh, those are not close together, Senegal and Haiti. Haiti is in the Caribbean, and Senegal is in West Africa. And uh, so, But we're, we're going to support those guys. And just, just to give you an update, we're looking for a place that God would have us partner. All of these places have their... Uh, Many, many people, there are groups of folks who have never heard the gospel, never heard the truth about Jesus Christ, his goodness and his mercy. So we're investigating. These teams are um, going to, to look and see if we might serve their longer term. So I ask you guys to, uh, to be in prayer for them. And uh, yeah, so that, that's exciting stuff. So the gospel is, is really, really good news. As the first slide up there was about salvation, we, we started in a, a series, a six-week series on salvation. What does it mean to be saved? And this one's going to have um, a, a number of uh, big words, this, this sermon this morning, but uh, not to be scared off. It's just how God has rescued people. Um, there's, there's good news and bad news. And Nick started off last week with the bad news that you don't need to be saved if you're, you know, if you're in a good spot, right? Um, you're, you're saved if you're drowning. Someone has to dive in and save you. Or you're lost in the woods and someone has to come out and find you. Um, so Nick started off last week talking about our, how we are separated from God, that every human being is, is separated from God by their choice, the, the, the choices they make to say, well, God, you say you're God. I think I want to be my own little God. Started in the garden and has proceeded ever since to, to widen this gap between us and God. But God is gracious and has not left us in that state. He has done something to, to bridge the gap between us, to bring us back into relationship with him. And that is, uh, that's what we call salvation. And the, the, the beautiful word that we're going to focus a lot on today is the atonement. The atonement. What has God done to, uh, to bring us back into relationship with him? And why did Jesus have to die? What, what purpose was the, the, the death of Jesus? I um, 
had a vague sense as a kid that the Christianity had something to do with a cross and with, with Jesus, whoever he was, dying on this cross. It meant very little to me because I just, I didn't know. I just, you know, every Easter some chocolate would turn up and that was good news. Um, but beyond that, there, there was really no, no meaning infused into it. But as I have, um, as I have lived this life, I found that the, the central event in all in history, in all of human history, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to reflect on today. And um, we're going to do it with the Apostle Paul. Uh, the, he's a leader of the early Christian movement. He wrote a, a letter. Um, we call these books at times, but really they're just letters. He wrote a letter to a church in Rome. Uh, the, the glorious city of Rome, head of the Roman Empire, we had a small little church. And uh, to this church, he wrote uh, these, these magnificent words. And Nick started off last week talking about these and sharing these, the first part of it. So, so Nick was a bad cop. He got to pre- present the, the bad news, the bad envelope. Oh, um, I get to be the good cop and talk about what God has done about the problem of sin that has separated us from God. So Paul says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And before you get hung up on the word sin, just, just think of it as each and every one of us have done, we, we have not lived up to our own standard, much less the standard of a holy God. And here when it says the glory of God, you were created to perfectly reflect God's image to all of creation. That if anyone, anything should look at your life, they should be able to say that is what God is like. That is what God is like. That is what the God of the universe is like. So think back through your week and say, were there ever times that I reflected that poorly? If, if Jesus said the standard is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with, your, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself, have you done that? If the answer comes back no, then you got a problem. I got a problem. Yet God has done something about it. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. And we're going to spend most of our, our, our morning here talking about uh, this word atonement. It's presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That's from Romans 3, uh, 23 to 26. So Paul uses this word atonement. And it really is an interesting word. It really just means at, well, the the English comes from at-one-ment. Two things that are apart, that are brought back together. And he reaches back, Paul reaches back um, into ancient history, into the the Hebrew. So 1,200 years before this, God had done something. He had given this image of atonement. And Paul uses this. He reaches back to the the Yom Kippur. If you go to the next slide, that centers around, there you go, that's the one, um, this one sacred place in all of creation. This, if you recognize it from Indiana Jones or anything, it's, the, uh, it's, it's a, a representative of the Ark of the Covenant, okay, which was much more powerful than, than even Indiana ever, ever thought. This, this was the place that God's presence dwelt in the most profound fashion. We, we, we believe as Christians that 
God is omnipresent, so he's everywhere all the time, filling all of time and space. But in some special, magnificent way, he caused his presence to dwell, to be, to be manifest, to be revealed. And this place, you see those on the top, there are these two um, angels, these two cherubim that, that face into the center. And that is the mercy seat or the atonement, the place of atonement. Where, where God dwelt in a special way. And within Israel, there were these concentric circles of, of holiness. You know, the people of Israel were called, were set apart as holy, which really is the, the root meaning of, of holy is to be set apart. So they were distinct from all the nations, called to be different for, um, for God's kingdom. Within that, there was, um, there, there was the tabernacle, and there was this place, there were the courts of meeting where people could come and each place as you go into these inner rings there's this um, increasing concentration of holiness and purity and this place that place the the center right between where those uh, these two cherubim would would look where, where, where the the love and justice of God meet in a special and profound way and God would would speak from this place to Moses uh, he would speak out of this place and yet this place was so sacred that they could only enter it once a year. They could only enter into this holy of holy places once a year. And this is, and only the high priest was the only person allowed to move into this place. Uh, this is from Leviticus 16. Um, and there are some things we need to, so this is, if you um, are familiar with the idea of Yom Kippur, that's the day of atonement, still celebrated, or celebrated is maybe the wrong word, still observed by observant Jewish people around the world. So Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the one day that people, they, would, uh, they were commanded to fast uh, and to, to, to repent before God of their sin. Um, it was... Here in this place, in the holiest of all holy places, before this place, that the, the priest would come, and that was the manifest presence of God was there. Uh, was but once a year, only one time a year was the priest allowed to enter this place. Other other and he had to do it in a very special, significant, or uh, ritualistic way, or he could lose his life. The priest was to, and we're going to talk more about this, but he would go in to make atonement for his own sin and then the sins of the people. So he would take, the priest was required to do several things. He's required to take a bull and sacrifice this bull and take its blood and put it in on that atonement cover for his own sin before he could ever intercede for the people. So a priest um, has been one who intercedes between God and people. They stand between God and man, God and humanity. So the priest was required first to sacrifice for his own sin. So he was to sacrifice a bull there to make atonement for or payment for his own sin. Then he was to take a goat. There were two goats, one lucky goat, one not so lucky goat. Um, unlucky goat was to be slaughtered and its blood put there before on the atonement cover along with the, the blood of the bull. And that was for the sins of the people that they had committed. The other goat, the priest was to go out, lay his hands on the head of that ghost and, goat and con- confess the sins of the people over that goat. To say, this is how we have rebelled. This is, how, this is the wrong stuff we've done. This is how we have disobeyed you, God. And then they were to take that goat and let it off into the wilderness as a, as a picture of God taking away their sin. And they're running off into the wilderness. Now, the people of Israel, and we hopefully knew that the blood of bulls and goats was just a symbol 
It was just a symbol. It wasn't somehow that God was, um, was satisfied that he's up there lusting for blood and, and, and waiting for it and say, okay, now I forgive you. He, t- he took it as a symbol. They, they acted in faith to say, okay, God, if this is what you have prescribed for us to do to relate to you, this is what we will do. And he said, okay, through that faith, I will take and I will, I will count that to you as righteousness. But it was, a, it, was a, it was an opportunity for them to even look forward Though they didn't know it fully, they were looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice that we'll talk about in Christ Jesus. And I want to say that what what has struck me over the last couple weeks as I've been thinking of this is this is the place here at the, the Ark of the Covenant where the love and the justice of God meet. Because in God's love... He wants to bring people back into relationship with him. He, he longs to have relationship with, with us. He's under no compulsion to do so. He's under no compulsion to bring us back into relationship. He's not required to, uh, but he, he wants to. He loves us and he wants to have relationship with us. In his justice, he cannot just say, uh, you know, sin, the wrong things that people do, the wrong attitudes, the evil, all the murder, destruction that, that, I, that I see in the world. I just, Whatever. That's no big deal. Uh, even a human judge who did that would be, would be unjust. So his love and justice meet here. Um, but it's, it's not something magic. We see times in Israel's history where they were practicing sacrifice. They were practicing this sacrifice. And God said, I wish, it says in Malachi 1.10, it says, I wish that someone would just shut the gates. Please, would you guys just stop pouring out this worthless blood because your hearts are far from me. You're like, oh, I can sin and then just offer up a sacrifice. No big deal. God says, that, that is not the kind of attitude I want you to approach me with. So this is the, the image that Paul is grabbing when he says this, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. He's reaching back into the Old Testament and say, you remember all those bulls and goats and the yearly sacrifice that, that, that we, the high priest had to go in and do? Well, this is what God has done ultimately in Jesus Christ. That was just an image. That was just a symbol, a beautiful, powerful symbol of what God was going to do in Christ. And here's what he did in Christ. So that was an Old Testament symbol or shadow, but here's the reality. In the New Testament... In Romans 3, this atonement language, this mercy seat idea has, has been brought forward and glorified. It's been brought forward and magnified so that the tabernacle, that little tent and the place of meeting, was just a copy, the Bible says. It was just a copy, it says in Hebrews, of what was going on in heaven. It was just a, 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 a physical representation of what was happening in the spiritual um, that there was a copy of this heavenly temple and that the presence of God that was represented between those cherubim has now been manifest among us that Christ incarnating God himself, the coming and dwelling among us. So every image that was back there has been taken and, and magnified. So the presence of God between the cherubs, those, those angels there is now the incarnation, the, the, the life of Jesus who took on flesh and blood as God. Um, the most holy place there in this, in this tabernacle was separated by these concentric circles of, of, of holiness, but also barriers. There were barriers between the people. So there, there was a thick, thick veil that prevented people from going into this holy of holies, this most holy place. But now, in, in the death of Christ, at the death of Christ, that veil was torn wide open so that God's presence was everywhere was manifest and so um, what happened simply once a year one time per year that people could go in and worship now 
once and for all, that has ended. In the death of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ, there's no more need for sacrifice. It happened once and for all. The priest had to go and make atonement for his own sin before he ever interceded for the people, before he ever prayed for the people, before he ever shed the blood of a goat for the people. He had to make atonement for his own sin. Christ had no sin, had no sin to deal with. So he could lay down his life for us. Um, What was represented by the blood of bulls and goats is now the blood of Jesus, the blood of Christ. Love and justice met there in the cherubim, the, the love and the justice, but we see even more so the righteousness of God. This passage in, in Romans that we looked at says God becomes, two, two things it points out. It says that God demonstrates his own righteousness. That's a beautiful word, the righteousness of God. As I was reading, it said, well, we're, we're not sure if this represents the um, God's covenant faithfulness, his desire to do good and reconcile people to himself, or his perfection. I'm like, well, it seems to mean both. That God is both perfect and desires to reconcile people. And that he becomes both the just and the justifier. God is just, but he's also the one who longs to justify us. So that image of what happened there is, is brought forward and enhanced and in both aspects, it's received by faith. Just like the children of Israel, if they, if they just went through the motions of sacrifice and said, okay, um, that, that makes us righteous. It's like, no, it's an act of faith to say that what God has, has promised and the giving of this sacrifice, we trust that he will do. Similarly, to become a follower of Jesus, it's an act of faith placed in the finished work of Christ. It's, it's not just simply, okay, Jesus died, everybody gets in, he paid our penalty, we get off scot-free. It's like, no. There, there's an, we need to, we receive Christ. We receive Christ. We place our faith in him. So now we're going to look a little more deeply at what this word atonement means. I have five questions I want to go through really, really quickly. So what is the atonement? Um, why did it have to happen? Um, how does it work? And is it fair? It seems kind of unfair for God to take my sin, put it on someone else. And how do we respond? Okay, so we're just going to go through these uh, Pretty quickly, I hope. We'll see. Uh, if we're still here at 2 o'clock, it hasn't been that quick, right? So, um, so when I was thinking about this, the, the idea of, of someone putting my guilt on someone else, it reminded me of when I was a kid. This, this is a, a negative example. I would, so I have uh, two older brothers and one younger brother. And um, when I would go into a class, classroom sometimes in middle school or high school, um, someone, you know, teacher be reading through the names and say, hi, David. I'm like, yeah, here. And they would stop and say, are you Skip Hyatt's brother? I'm like, yeah. Are you Rick Hyatt's brother? I'm like, yeah. And, uh, and I'm like, look, but I'm not them. Because these guys were, and they may be listening, they were rotten, though. They, uh, my brother Skip missed 100 days of school one year. And that was before he was named Skip. I mean, uh, he, um, he... He just, and they, they would just get in trouble all the time. They were feisty little guys, not, not big like me, um, but just always, you know, just getting in scraps. And, and so I would walk in, and I was, I was a pretty studious kid. I did well in school. I didn't like to get in trouble. But what I got was ascribed by my teacher, just like, hey, you're one of them. You're a Hyatt boy, and we're going to keep our eye on you. I'm like, look, man, I'm, I'm a good kid. Look, look at my grades. I'm all right. But, but in Christ, we have 
the opposite. We have something good given to us in the atonement. So as I mentioned, atonement just means at-one-ment. It's reconciliation between God and his fallen creation, that God has done something to bring us back into relationship with him. And just some, some quotes that uh, the core of Christian doctrine is, is, is found here in the atonement. The atonement is the crucial doctrine of the faith, according to Leon Morris. Uh, both, it's both has a cosmic and personal nature that um, if, you, if you look at these passages it says somehow God has taken and reconciled all of creation to himself in the death of Christ. It applies to you personally as you place your faith in Jesus. But for God to make, to, to restore, to restore relational and spiritual equilibrium to the universe, God sent Jesus to take away the sins of the world. It's the work that Christ did in his life and his death to earn our salvation. Christ suffered as a substitute for us, paying for our sins. So this is the, the, the glorious news of the atonement is that we were in desperate need and God did something about it in Christ. Now, you, you might think, okay, well, all religion is, is an effort for people to get reconciled to God. But, but religion in its own right is just like throwing a, a drowning man a book on how to swim. I don't think that's going to work out real well. You'll just weigh the guy down. You know, God came in from outside of the circumstance, from outside of the situation and said, you can't do anything to reconcile yourself to me. I have to be the one that brings you up. And that's what he has done in Christ. So the atonement is the the glorious work of of God to send his son Jesus to, to take upon himself the debt that we owed him. So why was it necessary? I think we've already touched on that because everyone, as we said in, in Romans 3, has sinned. Sin has separated everyone from God. No one has been perfect. No one has done everything that God has equipped us and called us to do. So it was necessary because we have been separated by God by our sin. Um, and in, in, in some sense, it's worth pointing out that it wasn't exactly necessary. God wasn't under no compulsion to save people. Um, we, we get pretty uh, focused on ourselves and we say, okay, well, God had to do something. He, he loved us, so he had to do something. He didn't. Um, it says in Second uh, Peter, it says he did not save the angels that fell. There were angels that rebelled against God and God was under no compulsion to make allowance for their sin, to make payment for their sin, and he didn't. But in his love, He's done something about it. So don't, don't feel like, well, God had to bail me out. He did not. He could have left us go down for the third time. He could have left us be separated from him forever, but he did not. Um, it was necessary so that God would be just. As we mentioned, he would be just that if he wanted to bring people into relationship with himself. Now, I want to point, say clearly, nothing outside of God compels him to do anything. It's only in his own character. But um, that he would be just that he wouldn't just overlook sin. So God, um, Christ came so that whenever someone would say, well, well that's, not, that's not right. You can't just let people off the hook. It's not, let them off the hook. I suffered immensely for that sin. So that he could be just, but also that he could be justifier. Uh, he would make a way in his love for a relationship with us to be restored. So, so it, it wasn't necessary, but once God decided to save, this was the way that God decided to do it. This is the way that God, um, God chose to do it. And I would say that God, 
I, I, I don't want to say he had to do it, but was, this was the, the necessary way because Jesus said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. It didn't pass. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, didn't you understand that the Son of Man had to suffer? So that seems like it was once God decided to save, this was the way that God could both be just and justifier. So, and, and in the death of Jesus, it reveals both, it reveals the character of God, the depth of his love and his absolute holiness. It, it reveals that God loves us so much that he would give his own life. It describes to people a value that's unthinkable, almost unspeakable, but it also re- reveals his absolute holiness, that God will not just overlook sin. Um, we, we have a partnership in, in Haiti, we have for a long time, and we've been uh, we helped to purchase a vehicle down there a number of years ago, or just a couple years ago, and I asked my, if you know anything about Haiti right now, it's an absolute chaos. It's, uh, kidnappings are rampant, um, and they, they use this vehicle that we helped to purchase to go up to the coffee-growing region, to work with farmers there, to bring coffee back. They're mentoring and doing some great stuff. I asked my friend, hey, are you using that vehicle? He's like, no way, Dave. He's like, if I use that vehicle, I'll get nabbed like that. Because when they look at the vehicle, they say, that guy must be rich. And if he's rich, he's worth nabbing. So, follow my analogy here. The, 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 the worth of someone is, what you, is how much they're willing to pay. So they, they kidnap people based on how much they think they can get. Well, the value, if you wonder how much did God love you, the value that God placed on you was the blood of his son. The blood of his own son, Jesus. So it reveals the the love, but also the justice of God. The justice of God, his holiness, that he can't tolerate sin. And if you wonder, sin isn't a big deal. Well, God says it is. So that's how, that's kind of why it was necessary. Now we'll move on to how does it it work? How does the the atonement work? And we're going to move quickly through this. Because I think of, I'm repeating myself on purpose. Because I often just go through, say, 415 things and say, yeah, they got them all. They just listen real fast. So I'm going back, trying to uh, make a couple of coats of paint. So since Christ was perfect, his sacrifice could go to the account of those were not. All of us were in debt, okay? Jesus had no sin of his own to pay for. So when, when he paid a debt he didn't owe, it was as if, now this is going to sound a little technical or whatever, but there's accounting says that he had a surplus, okay, that he could then take and transfer to us. That the righteous wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God, which this word propitiation, if, you're, if, you're just, if you need me to say that word, I've said it, okay. So the, the, the righteous wrath of God was re- revealed against people, so God took what we could never earn, and satisfied his wrath by the blood of Christ. He uh, he gave to our account what was to Christ's account. He also, he took, so he he satisfied his wrath. He dealt with our sins. Since Jesus was God, the infinite son, his sacrifice was, if you wonder, like, okay, so it's a one-to-one thing. How could God take one person and pay for all sin? Well, since since Jesus was the son of God, he could pay for all sin, over all time with his one death because he is infinite. So he, he paid for our sin. And since, so this, granted, this gets a little technical sounding, and I'll, I'll talk to that in a second. Since Jesus was born of a woman, he was fully 
he was fully human, he could act in our place. He could stand between us and God. He could take on this high priestly role to act as both God and man on our behalf. And lastly, I, this just, this should push us to worship. As I, was, as I was thinking through these things, that God would do this, I just, this, the words of this old hymn came to mind, that he, to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. So what Christ has done has taken his blood and where God's wrath was coming towards us, our sin, our separation from God by the wrong things we had done, Christ interposed or intervened with his blood and set it before God. So how does this work? Next slide, please. I'm going to just let that sink in for a second. Okay, so when I went like 11th grade chemistry, you know, my chemistry teacher started talking about Niels Bohr, and here's how an atom looks, okay? The hydrogen atom up in the corner there. Okay, so you got a proton in the center, electron spinning around it. Boom, that's it. Like, awesome, got it. I keep... I was a bio major, so I had to get a chemistry minor. Every class I took, they're like, well, that's not true. That's not really what it looks like. You know, an electron is like this nutty smear of wave and particle that exists in some crazy state around a proton, which is really a composite of a whole bunch of subatomic particles. And there are people that think that there's only one electron in all of the universe, and it just exists it just moves really fast between time and space. I'm like, what? What the heck are you talking about? It's just like, no, it's like the sun or the earth and the moon going around it. It's a really simple thing. And so my point here, as we go through how salvation works, how the atonement works, is let's not get too full of ourselves, okay? If, if we can't understand, we can't wrap our brains, you know, Niels Bohr wrote out all these equations for how the heck an electron actually worked and and they're still writing equations for how they actually work. If we can't fully grasp how a single, how the simplest of all atoms, a hydrogen atom, really works, then I don't want to be too, absolute, oh, this is, this is how it all works. So in the mind of God, um, how the Son and the Father relate to one another, and, and, he, and the Father receives the, the sacrifice of the Son and says, it is finished, it is done. There's something holy and magnificent there it's not simple and though it sounds technical when we throw words like propitiation and expiation um it's it's wonderful and beautiful and relational it's not simply just transactional okay so i just need to make that caveat so as we approach these things i want you to understand them i want you to get them i don't want you to think though that it was just a simple transaction between god so uh, next question we want to ask, next to the last question is, is this fair? Is it, is it fair? Was it fair for me to get, you know, the, when my, my brothers, the teacher, ascribing to me all the bad stuff that they did? Or, or is, it, is it fair for, for God to ascribe to Christ the wrong things that we have done, that we could be reconciled to him? Is that, is that fair in any sense? Well, one level, no. I mean, if, if by fair you mean everybody gets what they deserve, uh-uh. Jesus got what he did not deserve and we're and those who follow Christ those who place their trust in him those who receive him as lord they won't get what they deserve they'll get what Christ merited by his by his life and his death but it is fair in the sense that God 
he, he was, he, he was, Jesus was God himself. So in taking on sin, he was the one who was chiefly affected. He's chiefly offended by the wrong things that we do. So in for, he has the right to forgive and, and, um, and pay the debt. So he's the one who, whose window you broke with a rock. So if he says it's okay, I will fix it. He takes on himself the cost of that. He takes on himself he bears the penalty, the burden of making things right. Now, it's one of the reasons that forgiveness in the Christian life is so magnificently important that we extend forgiveness to others because it shows that we have understood the, the level of forgiveness that God has exercised towards us. Um, Jesus wasn't a, a random guy pulled out of the crowd. He was the son of God who chose in the, in the mind of God in eternity past, the father and son and the Holy Spirit, they chose this is how we will sort out the problem of sin for humanity to satisfy both love and justice. And Jesus he voluntarily laid down his life. He came as a ransom for many. He says, I, no one takes my life from me. I'm, the, I'm God of the universe. I hold this whole mess together by the power of my word. No one can just take my life from me. I lay it down willingly. So it was voluntary. And there was no other choice. Um, as we talked about, Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And apparently it was not possible. So the atonement is not strictly speaking fair, but it is just. That God could, since he was the one who was, he could be just and justifier since Christ was God himself. And lastly, how should we respond? How should we respond? Um, well, that depends on where you stand. Um, honestly, I mean, first and foremost, if you are not yet a follower of Christ, if you're just here and you think, okay, Christians, they're just one more group of people trying to make, make a mad God happy by the things they do, I, I just want you to understand at the, at the most fun, functional, foundational level that that's not how it works at all. This is the core of the Christian message, even if you don't believe it, that, that God dealt with the sins of humanity by giving his own life in our place. Um, that we're not just a bunch of people thinking we are better than anyone or are working harder or we figured it all out, but that God. So I want you to understand that, and I would love for you to respond to it. If you, if you haven't followed Jesus, if you haven't placed your trust in him, there's a God who loves you, who's dealt with his, um, his, his, his well-deserved wrath against you because of his love in the person of Jesus and brought that together. Um, for those of you who are Christians, I'd like... Just to maybe let's kill a lie or two in your own life. Lie number one, you can't be loved by God because of the things you've done. If, if you just maintain in your head, I've talked to people in my office, talked to people here, like, well, God can't forgive me for X, then you are minimizing the work of Jesus, the blood of Christ, the all-sufficient work of, of Christ on the cross and the Father's reception of that. It's a, it's a lie, and it, it draws Christ down. Or... You can be loved by God because of the things you've done. That you can earn favor with God. If I try really hard, I think I can figure it out. I got it. I can, uh, God has to accept me because I've done X, Y, and Z. Then you, you place yourself in a place of, I, I can place God in my debt. I can pray enough. I can give enough. I can be kind enough. I can do whatever. To place God in my debt so he owes me. And that, that's anathema in another way. It says, one says God doesn't love me enough. God's not loving enough. The other says God is not just enough, that I can work my way to him. So if one of those things are, are rattling around in your brain, and we all struggle with different things at different times, so it's not, but we can put those down today.
Um, next, we can share the good news. If this is truly good news, and it is, what, that God has dealt with the deepest problem that humanity faces by giving his son in our place. That's really, really good news. It's, you know, I think I've mentioned before, I used to work in a cancer research lab, work with John back there. Um, and if, if we, you know, you, when you make a discovery, you let everyone know. You're like trying to publish and, and get the word out. If someone discovers something wonderful that the deepest problem of humanity has been solved by God himself, We've come, to, we've come to, to experience that by grace. We want to let other people know. So you share the good news. And lastly, I would just love for us to sit in awe and wonder of what God has done. This magnificent God who owed us nothing but chose to give us everything. To sit in awe and wonder. To say, The Apostle Paul, he said, oh, the depths of the knowledge of the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways. Who would have thought this out? You know, you look at religion, and it's, it's this series of human activity to please God. I heard of one guy who rolled 2,000 miles on his side to please his angry gods. You know, people sacrifice and give and whatever. But God has said, you can't do a thing to please me, but I can satisfy my own wrath, offer you the gift of life. We should sit in awe and wonder. And I just want to do that for a second. I just want to um, let you have uh, just, just a moment to sit. And this is a picture from Rembrandt, just Christ between two thieves. And from, from my mind, as I mentioned earlier, I just am envisioning the love and the justice of God coming together in this one cataclysmic event, this massive collision between the love and justice of God being poured out in Christ, demonstrating his love demonstrating his justice, so just to sit. So let's just sit in, in reverence and awe for a moment and, and just um, reflect. Father, it's amazing that you took Christ who knew no sin and made him to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Salvation is it's remarkable. It, it's incredible and yet it's true and we we stand in awe of the work that you have done I, I just praise you that you care so deeply and yet you haven't compromised your your justice at all that you have become just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus God give us eyes to see the, the glory of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus that his life was was vindicated as you breathed life back into him on the third day in Christ's name Amen. So friends, I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come forward. If there's anything you want to pray about, any, um, yeah, just anything that's heavy on your heart or anything you'd just like to give thanks for, we're going to have folks up front here that would love to just, just pray with you, sit with you. And uh, so you can come on up front and do that. And we will continue on our series on salvation in the coming weeks.